0: Hey, this is Kevin Weatherby of Save the Cowboy. I want you to tow that stirrup, throw a leg over the can, take a deep seat, and pull your hat down tight. I ain't going to tolerate no whining or griping, so let's all strike a long trot down that narrow trail and learn how to ride with God. Come on! What you waiting on? Let's go. Uh, Last week, me and my wife, uh, we go on date night every week, or we try to, and, and more often than not, we do. But we'd gone on date night, and we had done some running around, and uh, me and Ty were actually not supposed to be here today. We were supposed to be fishing in the Beartooth Mountains in Montana. And uh, 12 hours before we were supposed to leave, Ty's horse flips on him, breaks his leg, and you know, here, I'm here. <laughs> and so I was running around getting stuff ready for our camping trip and going fishing, and you know, I went and bought like a dollars Fifty-five thousand dollars worth of lures, because I every time I throw one in, I just break the line. Throw the next one in. I don't know how I'm supposed to ever catch a fish, but uh, anyway, so we're doing all that, and, and we're coming home, and I'm I'm driving my wife's car because you know I'm I'm Hoke and she's Miss Daisy, you know what I mean? And so anyway, I'm driving down the road, and all of a sudden, man, she's like a cat. She's spread eagled. Breaks up and her eyes are closed. And she's like, dear, dear, dear. I'm like, what? I thought she was talking to me. <laughs> and I'm like, where? <laughs> and she goes, well, they were back there. <laughs> and I'm, I'm usually pretty good about that growing up in West Texas, I mean, you know, it's an obstacle course. And so usually I'm pretty good at spotting them. But man, I was just oblivious, just, w dear, yes. Which reminded me of uh, long before I was married, I helped some people move to Austin from Alpine, Texas. And uh, anyway, one of the girls that we were helping move, it was a couple of different girls. um, She was a bartender at a local bar and she couldn't get off till 12 o'clock at night. So we left at like midnight from Alpine to drive to Austin, Texas. And we took my truck and it was me and her and another guy in the truck and he was asleep in the back seat and I was driving and I made it. Oh, I don't know. Probably three hours and I had been at work all day. And finally I I told her, I said, Hey, we're going to either have to pull over or you're going to have to drive. She goes, Oh, I'll drive. You know, I, I, I'm used to working nights. So I slept all day. Why didn't you tell me that before here? So we pull over and she gets in my diesel pickup and we start going and I don't, I don't sleep real good you know, in a truck anyway, especially when somebody that I really don't know that well is driving my truck. And we were near Mason, Texas. And uh, man, the the population, deer population around Mason, Texas is more than the people population in Austin. They're just thick as flies. And, And it's little rolling hills. And I remember, you know, looking over and she's driving, she's got the radio on. And I happened to look up, you know, I'm kind of got the seatbelt as my pillow, you know, and I happened to open my eyes as we come over this rise, and right there, from me to Mitch, is at least 60 head of deer. From Barditch to Barditch, I mean, it was like a herd of deer. And I just kind of braced my foot. I mean, we was gonna, it was gonna be like bowling, right? And she said, Something that I won't repeat. And, but there was, there was no stopping. I mean, it was, you know, she's driving 70 miles an hour and, you know, here's all these deer. And I'll never forget. She missed the first one, missed the second one and went, whoo, whoo, whoo. And the deer never moved and not a single one of them touched the truck. I looked over at her and said, man, you are a ninja. Cause I mean, I just, I just knew Then my truck, you know, I didn't have a grill guard on it or nothing. I mean, three o'clock in the morning, supposed to be helping people move. Typical Weatherby deal. That's usually how that works. But she did, man. I've never seen driving like that in all my life. She was careful. She didn't jerk the wheel. We didn't hit the bar ditch. Usually when people swerve, they go into the bar ditch, overcorrect flip, whatever. Not her, not that day. I told her she threaded the needle. Because that's exactly, with a three-quarter ton diesel pickup, she threaded the needle. And I think that's a lot of what the Christian life is like. Because see, we're, we're also on a narrow road, or as the Bible calls it, a narrow trail. And there's lots of obstacles, lots of obstacles. And we'll get going good. I mean, everybody associated with Save the Cowboy, from the two in the front row to two on the back row, and, 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 and one at home going to be watching later. You know, we get going along good. And then all of a sudden there's there's just things that can derail us if we are not careful, but we're not the only ones to go through it because when Jesus was here, he also had to deal with obstacles. And, And most of the obstacles had to do with two groups of people, okay? There was those that he was trying to reach. And then there was the religious institution Right? Well, you know, he, he wasn't a Pharisee that just went through the motions and, and made rules and all of that. But, but but he wasn't lost either. He threaded the needle through all of these obstacles. And, you know, so, some people tried to hurt him. Some people tried to help him. And in every situation, it just, I picture that when I read in the Bible about When Jesus had encounters, negative encounters with either the lost or the Roman government or or, uh, the religious institution, he always found a way to thread the needle. Today we're gonna talk about doing just that, of what we can learn from Christ's life and how he got through the obstacles that were on the narrow trail. The first way that we can learn from Jesus on how to thread the needle is sometimes we just got to go around. There was a time when, you know, Jesus was going from village to village to village and he was going to go into a Samaritan village, I believe. And, and a Samaritan was a half Jew, half somebody else. They were, they were shunned, they were despised, they were, they were considered trash, but yet Jesus is going to them, right? And so he tells his disciples, particularly James and John, go into this village and tell them I'm coming. Get things ready. James and John, instead of just going to the village, all of a sudden they go to the village and they come back and they're like, hey, Jesus, we got a problem. He's like, what's the problem? He said, they said, no. They said, don't come into their village. And Jesus, I, I can imagine Jesus was like, really? And they're like, yeah, but we've got a solution. And Jesus is like, what is it? He's like, we're going to call down hellfire and brimstone. <laughs> Jesus is like, no, you're not. Just because they don't want us, we're not going to kill them because they didn't welcome us into their village. What did Jesus do? He just went around. There doesn't, there doesn't always have to be, when we, when we deal with people or circumstances, there doesn't always have to be this big brouhaha. You know what I mean? We don't need to make mountains out of molehills every single time. A detour is better than a derailment. But yet we get mad at the detours in life. It took me 92 minutes one time to find Edelweiss German restaurant, Colorado Springs, because of all the detours. Siri was yelling at me, and I don't like to be yelled at. And by the way, my wife, Siri, is a man's voice, and she calls it Suri. That's funny. If you don't get that, get with me afterwards. We'll get a crayon, and I'll explain that. But anyway, so we go through detours in life, right? And we get upset about the detours, but a detour is better than a derailment. Sometimes when there's obstacles, it's just better to go around. It's just better to go around. You don't have to argue or grandstand or, or, or cry or complain or, or grab a bat out of the back of the truck. I mean, you, just, you don't have to do that, man. Sometimes just go around. And I, and I don't want to say who cares because Jesus cared enough that he wanted to go tell this village who he was and that, 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 that they could have eternal life through him. And he was going to do all the work for them. And all he asked was for them to have faith. But they said no. And he, what did he do? He didn't let James and John call down hell, fire, and brimstone. He just went around. There's going to be times in your life that there's going to be obstacles. Just, just, just go around. The second one, way that Jesus threaded the needle. Sometimes he didn't go around. Sometimes he went straight at it, pedal to the metal. He never let up. Matter of fact, instead of letting off the gas, he just put it all the way to the floor, dropped the gear and rolled coal. I don't know if they rolled coal back then, but there's this one part where where Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and man, he gets on them hard. There's a bunch of scribes and Pharisees sitting there and I mean, basically Jesus starts some finger pointing and he's like, you know what this, and basically in the Bible, it's called the seven woes. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees for you. And then he tells them what they did. The first one that he talks about is he said, you slam the door in heaven, the slam the door of heaven in people's faces with all your made up rules. And then he says, woe unto you, cause you try to win converts and then turn them into twice the children of hell that you are. I mean, he's, call, he's telling them that they're a child of hell and that those that, he, that they're converting, that they're turning into twice the children of hell that they are. I mean, Jesus is giving them the whole nine yards, right? Or seven yards. He calls them blind guides. He says that they are being religious, but they never help anybody. The fifth thing that he says is he says, you look good on the outside, but on the inside, you're nasty. The sixth one, he says, you're whitewashed tombs full of hypocrisy and wickedness wrapped up in religion. And then the last one, he says, you're just like your ancestors that killed the prophets. Now, you think about what he was saying there. He was basically saying, all these prophets were killed by the religious people because they didn't like what the prophets were saying. And guess what? Y'all are going to kill me too. That's what he was saying. He's actually prophesying his death and the way it would happen. But sometimes... You can't avoid an obstacle. Sometimes you got to go straight at it. I was watching a, a Western the other day and, and uh, me and my wife are sitting there and and this saloon owner turns to the sheriff of the town because the sheriff in the town's like, I'm going to go arrest him right now and blah, blah, blah. And I'm gonna, if I have to, I'll kill him and blah, blah, blah. And the saloon owner goes, do you not ever just go straight at something? And my wife turns, and she goes, that's you. Because I mean, I do. I'm bad about it, man. If I got some and, and, and when I say I, if I got something to say, I'm going to say it. I don't walk around just saying everything that I think. But if there's a problem, I do not have any qualms about going straight at the problem. And neither did Jesus. Sometimes you just have to tell people the truth. But there's a big difference in speaking the truth. And, and just, you know, everybody always, well, I just tell it like it is. No, you tell it like you see it. And just because you see it a certain way doesn't make it the truth. You are not the object of the truth. You're not the source of the truth. But Jesus was. He knew their hearts. Remember, before Jesus told these blunt truths, before he went straight at them, pedal to the metal, you know what he told Everybody. Before he turned and said those seven woes, he turned to everybody else and he told them that they should respect the Pharisees and scribes because of their positions. He said, you all should respect them because of their positions. Just don't emulate them. And then he turns on them and, you know what I mean? He gets after them. Sometimes we need to go around. Sometimes we just need to drop the hammer. Sometimes you need to stand and fight. Jesus did. If the blunt truth doesn't seem like it'll help, Jesus makes a whip, sits there and braids the cord. Now you have to understand why he's doing this. There are people in the temple and, and people are supposed to be bringing sacrifices to the temple, the first fruit, the best of what they have. And basically what they're doing is it's a carnival sideshow now where you walk up to a booth, you don't bring anything of your own. You just bring these, you you bring your money and you can get, you can buy this little dove that has been authorized by the temple as an acceptable sacrifice for 1995. You can have this right here. It's basically what was happening in the temple. They were doing everything and it meant nothing. And they were basically making a mockery of the sacrificial temple. Jesus is gonna be the ultimate sacrifice, right? And he sees all of this happening. He braids a cord. He's like, you know what? I'm not gonna have this in my father's house. He braids him a whip. He starts overturning the money changers because you, you you couldn't use like, real money in the temple. You had to exchange the money for a temple money. Of course, the exchange rate, you know, was uh, very favorable for the religious people, right? So Jesus was just tired of it, man. It wasn't anything like, so he starts turning over, overturning the money changers and all these carnival sideshow people, not everybody, just the ones that are doing this. He drives them out of the temple. Sometimes with obstacles, you got to go around. Sometimes to thread the needle, you got to drop the hammer, just go through it. Sometimes you got to stand and fight. This is, I don't want anybody sitting up there saying, oh, my preacher told me I could make a whip, start whooping people. That is not what he said. That is not what he said. You're not Jesus and I'm not either. This is not a license for getting mad, losing your temper and whipping people. Jesus was never out of control. This is only to be done. You think about this. Was he doing it to punish? No, he was doing it to protect his dad's house. If you're gonna use this on an obstacle, it can only be done in the protection of someone else. Not just to fulfill because you got your undies in a wad. Jesus was defending his father's temple, not letting off some steam. And he was not preparing for the Pharisee UFC or something like that. You know what I mean? Whenever I worked at the prison in Fort Stockton, there was a guard there that he was Hancock bred, big old dude, and there was another young kid, and he was Shetland bred, and he was a nerd. I don't I don't say that in a bad way. That he was a nerd, and for some reason, this big dude got it in his head that the little dude had said something about him. And so he said that after the shift was over, he was going to whip the nerd. I mean, it it was so absurd because this kid didn't do anything, man. He just wanted to be everybody's buddy, you know? And so I get wind of it and this kid comes to me and he's like, man, I I don't know what I've done, but I've tried to talk to him and he said, he's going to whip me as soon as we get out of here. He's, I said, he ain't whipping nobody. He's like, he says he's pretty serious. So I said, I'll walk out with you. So I walked out with him and sure enough, here comes this big old dude. And he starts taking off his uniform. I mean, he's ready to fight. So I reached in the back of my pickup and I pulled out a pipe. He goes, what do you think you're doing? I said, well, it all depends on what you're fixing to do. He said, well, I'm going to whip him. I said, no, you're not. I said, we all know you can. There's no doubt about that, but you're not going to. He said, well, then I'll whip you. And I said, now you, now you can try. And I said, you're liable to get it done, but I'm gonna bend this piece of pipe over your head before you get it done. And I said, I'll probably forget about the fight, but you will not forget about this whooping. I'm gonna lay on you with this piece of uh, inch and a quarter galvanized pipe. He goes, you're serious. I said, I'm deadly serious. I said, I'd rather just get in the truck and leave. He goes, you really are serious. You'd hit me with that. And I said, as hard as I can. I said, I'm not big enough to fist fight you. I said, this is the leveling field or something like that. Anyway, and I started kind of laughing. And I said, I'm not even mad at you, but I'm not gonna let you hit this poor kid. he's like, well, well, I'll just, I'll just leave. Let's all leave, not just you. Let's all just go home. And we did. I was really thankful. That was a big old boy. I could just imagine me swinging that pipe and him going, and catching it, <laughs> yeah, because that's probably what was going to happen, but I had to get my bluff in but but if we do something like that, we can't really be mad, but we can defend people, and sometimes man you got stand you gotta stand up for something, there's nothing wrong with that, but you can never stand up for something, stand against something, defend something there's no, there's nothing wrong with it, but you can't do it while you're mad sometimes. You go around. Sometimes you put the pedal to the metal, go right through it. Sometimes you stand and fight. Sometimes you're just gonna have to walk away. In Luke chapter four, verses 29 and 30, Jesus has been saying some things that the religious people don't like. And it says, jumping up, they mobbed him and forced him to the edge of the hill on which the town was built. So they jump up and they grab Jesus and they start dragging him to the edge of the town to a cliff. They intended to push him over the cliff, but he passed right through the crowd and went on his way. Like, I, I can't even really fathom how that happened, but I know that it did happen, that they're going to push him off this cliff. And he just turns around and, and like, they can't really do anything. He, he just walks away. He doesn't say anything. He doesn't threaten, I'll get back at you. He just, he just walks away. And there's going to be times that we need to also, doesn't and And, and maybe, maybe everybody else is totally in the wrong. Maybe you are completely in the right, but maybe it's best if you just walk away. No proving that you're right. No telling somebody the hard blunt truth, not making whips or grabbing pipes, just walking away. If you think that one's hard, try this one. Maybe a way to thread the needle of a difficult situation. You're gonna have to just keep your mouth shut. In Matthew chapter 27, Jesus is on trial. He's fixing to be crucified. And starting in verse 12 It says, but when the leading priests and elders made their accusations against him, Jesus remained silent. Don't you hear all these charges that you're bringing against you, Pilate demanded. But Jesus made no response to any of the charges, much to Pilate's surprise. Never dismiss the power of keeping your mouth shut. It takes more strength to keep your mouth shut than to work it. It takes wisdom. A wise man isn't one that is right. A wise man knows when to keep his mouth shut and when to open it. It doesn't take wisdom to prove that you're right. It takes wisdom to know when to talk and when to keep your mouth shut. Most of us need a lot of practice keeping our mouth shut. But there's only one thing that's more powerful than keeping your mouth shut, and that's the last thing, is prayer. Jesus took three friends. He had had the Lord's Supper, what we will commonly be known as now as the Lord's Supper. He washed all of his disciples' feet, and then he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray with Peter, James, and John. This was right before he was arrested and crucified and Jesus prayed so hard. There were so many obstacles in the way. And you know what those obstacles that were? They were every sin that you've ever committed. It was your sins that nailed him to the cross. It was your sins that pierced his feet, his hands, the spear that went into his side. It was my sins that shoved a of corn, of throne, crown of thorns on his head. And what did he do? Right before, he knew everything that was going to happen. He knew he could be spit on, whipped, hit, nailed, die. What did he do? He went and prayed. If Jesus taught us anything, it was not to pray as a last resort. He taught us to pray all the time. This was not Jesus's only recorded prayer. Jesus prayed all the time. And how many times have you said or heard, well, I guess all we can do now is pray. You should have been doing that from the beginning. You might not be right where you are if you would have been praying about it in the beginning. Maybe you wouldn't be needing to pray with drops of sweat if you had just gone around or maybe told the truth, even if it was hard, or, or maybe if you would have stood and fought, or maybe if you would have walked away, or maybe if you kept your mouth shut. Our Christian lives should be one of prayer. And if the only time you pray is before you eat, you are merely performing a religious ceremony. If that's the only time you pray is right before you eat, you're not praying. You're performing a religious ceremony. I would rather somebody not pray before they eat than to do something because all their family says that you have to do it. That's not what God wants. He wants heartfelt conversation between him and his kids. But hidden in this passage is the key to knowing which of these to use. Cause I know what you're, I know what all of you've been thinking. I've listed off six things and you're like, well, that's all good, man. I, I, I get what you're saying, but how do you know which one to use in which situation? How can you know? Jesus tells us, as a matter of fact, he shows us. When do you go around? When do you use the blunt truth? When do you make a whip and overturn tables? When do you walk away? When do you keep your mouth shut? When do you just need to go off and pray without doing any of those things? In Luke chapter 22, Jesus says, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. I don't want to go through what, I, what, what I'm fixing to go through. Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. And there's the key. That's how you will know which of these six things to use when you know in your heart, not my will, but yours, God. Not my will, that's the key. You can never use any of these things to justify what you want to do. You can only use them to do the will of God. The will of, the, the will of God is the only thing that will thread the needle and the obstacles on the narrow trail that you should be on. But here's another hint. God's will seldom follows ours. God's will seldom follows ours. So if you're one to overturn tables, chances are that's not God's will. If you want to tell somebody the blunt truth and you just feel like you can't keep your mouth shut, that's probably your will, not God's. It will probably be the one that you would least like to do that is the real answer and the will of God. But you will never know what that is without a tight relationship with God, one of constant communication of following him and loving him.